I need a hashtag FitzMagicShirt ASAP. You are locked on fantasy basketball, your daily podcast on fantasy basketball. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. Tried to do today's show as a live Periscope mailbag. Was having some technical difficulties so we swung it across over onto... Uh, over onto YouTube, I'm going to be going through some of the news that's happened over the last couple of days, as well as answering any questions that you guys may have for me. I see some people already in here watching live, which is always uh, always good to see. So welcome to you guys who are here at the moment. Michael Bolton's ready, everybody. Let's get to it. To it. Hey, what a really, really good idea for us to get started. Just quickly, the first bit of news to get to here, I think, is Dwayne Wade announcing that he'll be back for one more season with the Miami Heat. Now, he was not a productive player for the Heat last season, but he still took minutes and he still took an absolute shit ton of usage and did it really inefficiently. So there are some fantasy implications here for the Miami Heat, not necessarily meaning that Wade is going to be a fantasy guy because I think we're all aware that, that he isn't going to be that player, but how it impacts the other guys on this team and who ends up losing minutes and ends up losing touches. Now, I don't think that Wade is really even going to be a top 200 player. But if he comes in, now he will come off the bench. I've got no doubt about that. But if he comes in and starts demanding big chunks of minutes or starts taking the amount of shots that he took last season, that can be a real problem. Now, who is it going to impact? I think Tyler Johnson's going to cop it the most. I think also one thing we need to realize is that last season, Dwayne Wade and Deion Waiters didn't play together. But I have my concerns about Deion Waiters, whether he's actually going to be ready to start the season with his ankle injury. We're hearing he's still not ready to, to really participate in five-on-five. But that's going to be a concern. Which one of those two you know, inefficient shot makers or shot creators are going to take the, the ball out of the hands of Goran Dragic or Kelly Olenek or, of course, Joshi Richardson? So I think it has somewhat of a negative impact on Richardson, not in terms of minutes, but perhaps in his shot attempts. It impacts uh, Dion Waiters to a degree, Scooter Magruder's out of the rotation. I think it impacts Bam out of bio, weirdly, because it means there are less minutes available for, say, Justice Winslow at the three, uh, at the four. Um, so yeah, at the three, pushing Winslow more up to the four. I think that does eliminate a little bit of Bam's upside there as well. He maybe moves to the 11th man in the rotation with Wade taking that 10th spot. So there's something of a concern there. Really eliminates any hope of a Derek Jones breakout. I didn't think there was much hope of that anyway. But a hit to Dragic, a hit to Richardson, a hit to the Duke Wayne Ellington, a hit to Deion Waiters and Wade coming in. It's going to be very interesting to see exactly how he is used, whether he can rein in some of that indiscriminate shooting that we saw from him uh, last season, which uh, wasn't uh, wasn't ideal from a fantasy point of view uh, or even a real life point of view. He had some solid games in the uh, in the playoffs. Well, I think he had at least one solid game in the playoff in the playoffs, but uh, otherwise he was uh, generally a pretty big net negative. Now he does come in and takes that backup point guard role. It's going to mean that Tyler Johnson and Dan Waiters are playing exclusively at the two, so it's going to really impact what Tyler Johnson can do in terms of playing time. 
where you'll have Richardson and Winslow playing a lot of those minutes uh, at the three, um, pushing again Winslow up to the power forward spot as well. So that's how I see that Dwayne Wade situation going. It's great for Wade and for Heat fans to have him back for one more season in terms of what we're looking at for fantasy production. It is a little bit of a pain in the ass to see Wade back there and perhaps taking some shots and some opportunities away from other players who are who are you know, perhaps more deserving, or at least at this point in their career, better options than what Dwayne Wade is. Um, I do have to introduce you guys, though, today to a new sponsor to this podcast. Uh, Vivid Seats has joined on, is sponsoring the show, and it's great to have them involved. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace. It's dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. I know everyone loves going to live events, whether it's sporting events. The NFL is two weeks in. College football is three weeks in. NBA basketball preseason's two weeks away. It could be a concert. It could be a comedy show. It could be a, a musical. It could be any of those things. And Vivid Seats is here to help provide you with a cost-effective way of going to those shows. It's the top source for tickets for all live events that you want to go to. You can sort by price or even look for the seats in the section or the row of your choice at that particular event. To make things even better, Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for $20 off any order of $200 or more to save even more money. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use the promo code Locked On. It's one word to save $20 off your orders of over $200 or more. Every purchase is backed by a 100% buyer guarantee. From the biggest concerts and games to the hottest theater and more, Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, use the promo code Locked On, and save $20 off any order of $200 of or, or not of, uh, $200 of or, try did it again, or more. Fantasy football is also underway, and we have two fantasy football shows to help you. Locked on Fantasy Football 24-7 gives you all the latest news, waiver suggestions, and injury news, while Locked on Fantasy Football is now Locked on Fantasy Football Experts with amazing guests every Monday. Tom Kessenich, Tuesday, Eric Edholm, and Wednesdays, we have Jeff Ratliff and Tyler Lochner. So check that out. All right, let's see if you guys have got any questions in here. The Medium asks me, is Kevin Love a top 25 player? It's a good question. I believe he is if we're just looking strictly on a per-game basis. Love won't be that top five, top six guy that he was in Minnesota uh, all those years ago, but I'm pretty confident he's going to be pretty close to a top 20 guy and feel really confident he's going to be a top 25 player. Now, of course, he's had back injuries, knee injury, hand, hand injuries, concussions over the past couple of years. He was the 38th ranked player last season, the 31st ranked player the year before. So expecting him to get into the top 25, I don't think that's too much of a stretch. I think he goes back to being a 20 point per game scorer. Yeah, I think he plays more minutes, only 28 minutes per game last season. I think that jumps back up. He becomes a double-digit rebounder. But maybe the sneakiest part of all this is I think that Kevin Love's assists will go back up. The last two seasons, he was under two assists per game playing alongside LeBron James. He is going to get way more of that ball handling and creating opportunities. Maybe he's not pushing back to four, four and a half assists like he was in Minnesota. But those numbers should at least double, I would think, with the assist numbers. He's never going to block shots. He's not going to be super efficient from the field. But he is going to give you rebounds, assists. He'll hit shitloads of threes. He'll score. And the free throw attempts on huge percentage should be able to pump him up into that zone pretty comfortably. 
Uh, Blue chimes in here, says, Love at his best is still a disaster in field goal percentage, blocks and steals. I wouldn't say he's a disaster in field goal percentage. I understand where you're coming from. He is, uh, you know, based on what my projections are at the moment, he's not even a negative one in standard score for that category. Last season, he wasn't a negative one either. Now, the first, uh, the, the last two years in Cleveland before that, 15, 16, and 16, 17, he was much worse, shooting 42 and 43%. But last season, he got it up to 46%, and I've got him projected a little bit lower than that this season. But if he can get, keep it at 45, then he's not a disaster in those areas. He's also a negative 0.5 and negative 0.5 in steals and blocks. Not great, but again, far from being an absolute uh, disaster there at all. Um, Blue, what's uh, what else? We, who, else we, who else have we got comments here? Let's have a look. That was a good question. The medium, again, I'll just answer your question. Let's go with someone else now. NGJAS says, Kevin Love versus LaMarcus Aldridge. Well, based on per game numbers, I do have Love ranked higher than Aldridge at this point. I think LaMarcus is going to suffer a significant step back from where he was last season. He put up those big numbers, but look at what he did the year prior when Kawhi was there. Just assume that DeMar DeRozan is going to take a similar level of usage to what Kawhi did, and you'll see Aldridge's numbers come down. Now, I guess the advantage Aldridge does have there is a higher field goal percentage, and he also has a higher block rate. I think he'll rebound less, he'll get less assists, and I just overall think he's not quite as valuable as Kevin Love, but if you're looking for that field goal percentage, someone to be really strong in both percentages, I can understand using Aldridge with the field goal percentage advantage and the block advantage. I think Love is more of a second-round guy and Aldridge is a third-round guy, but I wouldn't be considering LaMarcus to be the same guy that he was last season just because of that factor of DeMar DeRozan coming in and taking some of those shots away from him where he was really successful last season, but I don't think that he's going to have that same level of uh, of success this year that he had last year. Still be really good and still really help you with those uh, with those numbers and with that... Um, uh, with those percentages, but I'm not sure he's going to be exactly the same uh, guy that he was the prior year. All right, who else got a question here? Fias Kane says, I'm sure that's not how you pronounce your name, so I apologize. Any chance you can talk about how to set up your dynasty leagues on fan tracks? I tried to make my own league, but got nobody to join. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's getting nobody to join is not really the same thing as setting up your leagues. I've uh, I did a whole show on setting up dynasty leagues about a month ago, so you can go check that one out. But it really you got to have a, a strong set of rules, and it's got to make sense. And if you are having you know setting up leagues and looking, yeah, the, you can go to the, the fantasy basketball subreddit, or you can just tweet it at me, and I can retweet it to get people who are interested in joining. Uh, Francisco Santos says, do you think you can do a deep fantasy sleepers on basketball monster? Since I only played 20 teams, 14 roster, I would appreciate it. Or you can talk about it. I think that's uh, fair enough. Um, yeah, 20 teams is pretty deep. 14 man roster. We're talking a pretty significant chunk of players being rostered in that sort of a, of a scenario. So you're looking at, at obviously you're not the, the standard type of sleeper guys, you're looking at your you know, guys who you are on the bench, maybe a Mitchell Robinson who've got an ability to jump forward, uh, Shaq Harrison for the Phoenix Suns. Big Shaq. Um, yeah, another guy there, Jaron Grant with the Orlando Magic is worth a, worth a look. Nemanja Bielitsa, I think, depends on how Sacramento want to use him, but if they're going to put him as the starting small forward, there's some value there uh, in him there. DJ Augustine along with Jaron Grant, another deeper league sort of guy. You might be taking a little bit earlier. Um, who else are we looking at here? Perhaps Ryan Anderson can be a value in a 20-team type of league. 
the Memphis shooting guard position, Dylan Brooks, Marshawn Brooks, uh, Wayne Selden, depends on how they want to use that position. There could be some value there in those areas as well. The Terrence Ross, Jonathan Simmons situation in Orlando is one worth monitoring for those guys, as well as the Detroit scenario, Glenn Robinson the third, the little dog, or do we have Stan Johnson in that role? So there are a few options there with some significant type upside in those areas, you want to go deeper. Zach Collins in Portland, Kevin Huerta in Atlanta, two young guys who could have an opportunity. I already mentioned uh, Dylan Brooksy Brooks as a guy who could have that chance. And Derek White, really a deep league guy I like in San Antonio, you know, played significantly you know, very, very well in summer league and has an opportunity to step up into a larger role, especially now with Manu Ginobili retiring. Um, there's some, uh, I'll get back to questions in a second. Uh, obviously, some uh, issues happening in Minnesota with Tom Thibodeau and Jimmy Butler. I spoke with Colton Molesky over on Locked On NBA about that today. But what does it do in terms of fantasy? Is there a chance Jim Butler gets traded this season? I think there is a chance because we have to remember there's conflict between Butler and, and Thibodeau. There's conflict between Towns and Thibodeau. There's conflict between ownership and Thibodeau. But there's also some conflict between Towns and Butler. Now, I think obviously there's one factor there that's present in majority of those beefs, and that is Tom Thibodeau. So his ass should be gone. I think I said this in January last season that he is going to wear these players down. He is going to piss them off, and he is going to ruin this team. I had some pushback against that, but uh, it's true. He is shit at what he does. He has no idea how to manage a roster of of players. His GM decisions are piss poor. His coaching decisions are piss poor. And it's obviously rubbing up against this team really, really poorly. Now, they are going to be having a meeting tomorrow, Butler and Thibodeau. We'll see how that goes. There's still no contract offer out there or no signed contract for Towns as a rookie extension, which he, you know, that should be wrapped up straight away. Now, if Butler does get moved, it would depend on who would come back, but you'd think that would help Towns a lot. It would probably help Wigo too, with Andrew Wiggins getting more scoring happening, which was really his only ability to be a top 100 guy with scoring 20 points per game. So that could go up. It would help a guy like a Jeff Teague a little bit with more usage, but mostly it would help Towns. It would probably solidify Towns as the number three player behind Harden and behind Davis in fantasy. I would put the chances of Butler getting traded pretty minimal. I would put the chances of Tom Thibodeau getting fired at pretty high. So I think that's probably the direction that that all goes. Um, but of course, uh, it remains to be seen exactly the direction the Minnesota Timberwolves are looking to, to go with. But they need to be getting Thibodeau out of there. He's screwing things up with this franchise. I've been saying this for a very, very long time. It's all coming to fruition now. You should not be giving dual titles to anybody, um, and let alone someone like uh, Tom Thibodeau, who has... Imagine just going into work every day and having a, a guy with a questionable comb-over berating you every second with a gravelly voice, just getting on your ass. You're up 30 points. He's leaving you in the game and he's screaming ice at you all day. Like, don't tell me you wouldn't get pissed. You would have to get pissed. And then to back it up, you go into work and they go, oh, guy, hey, did you hear the news? Uh, Coach Thibodeau um, signed one of his old mates from six years ago and he's going to come in and play again. Like another one, the fourth one of these guys, I'm talking about Lou Old Deng here. Like eventually these people are going to be like, Jesus, like can we just have... Can we give these guys some uh, some playing time? Can we see what a Koji can do? Can we see what B- uh, Bates Diop can do? Can we see what anyone else can do? Like Butler was calling it out in uh, you know, post-game press conferences last season. Uh, we know George's Hunt can play. We know Marcus can play. I just want to see him get an opportunity. And Jeff Teague was saying the same thing. My name is Jeff. Like he was saying, yeah, Tyus can play. Like we know these guys can play, but... Thibodeau ignores it. He ignores what the, the team wants. And you shouldn't be running a team based entirely on what the players want. Shout out to Ryan McDonough. But you can't be ignoring everything that they say when being as stubborn and pig-headed as what uh, Thibodeau has been 
pretty much this entire way uh, through his uh, tenure in Minnesota. All right, let's have a look. Oh, tons of you guys are throwing in questions. Now we'll get to that in just a sec. But I also need to remind you guys, the Locked On Network is expanding with college shows. And coming this week, we've got Locked On Wolverines, Locked On Buckeyes, and Locked On Seminoles. We're already locked on to the Ducks, the Nittany Lions, the Bears, the Crimson Tide, the Wildcats, Razorbacks, Volunteers, and Cougars. So find your favorite college show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. Let's look at what else you've got coming in here with questions. Um, let's see. Uh, duh, duh, duh. How high are you on Jamal Murray this season? I drafted him about pick 44. Felt like I picked too soon. I don't think that's too soon for Jamal Murray. Now, we do have to deal with a pretty poor coach in Michael Malone who was you know, benching Murray so that Emmanuel Moutier could play last season. And now he brings in a player who he has a pretty good rapport with, with Isaiah Thomas. Now, surely Malone would look at what happened the second half of last season where Murray was in and he was the start and he was playing big minutes and he was crushing it. And this team was crushing it. But that's Malone. Like He could do any sort of dumb shit at any time. I think Murray, I've actually got Murray projected as the 44th ranked player for this season. So you picking him at 44 is fine. There is an element of of risk there with Malone screwing it up, but I've got him projected about 18 points. He could easily go to 20, 21 points per game. He's not going to be a high assist guy. He won't get steals, but you're looking at really strong efficiency, brilliant percentage from the free throw line and some strong scoring, nice threes. He's fine in that 40 to 55 type of a range. So I don't think you should be... um. I don't think you should be stressing out too much there with the Blue Arrow. NGJAS, will you be talking about making vids on auction drafts at all? Good question. I'm glad you asked that question. This wasn't set up at all. Tomorrow's podcast, I'm going to be doing auction tips. So going over how to set up an auction, how to perform for an auction, how to prepare for an auction. And then on Wednesday's show, we're doing an auction. We're, I'm getting in some fantasy basketball writers, some basketball monster subscribers as well. So some, uh, I won't call them experts, some analysts plus some uh, some regular fantasy folks as well. And we're going to be doing an auction mock draft, and I'm going to be talking through what's happening, the bids, my decisions, the way that I'm planning my team out. So after today's podcast, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're all about auctions for the next two days after that. So good question, NGJAS. Flip Sanchez, Josh, what's your outlook on Nikola Vucevic? I think I really like Vucevic as a player. I think that even in sub-30 minutes a game, he's a top-50 guy. He'll score. He'll rebound. The assist went way up last season. And again, without a really you know, recognized distributor or point guard on this team, he's going to do some of that. He's not going to block you a ton of shots, but still get you one a game. Efficiency is pretty nice. It did dip a little bit last season as he started taking more, more threes, and I think that'll continue the threes. But the efficiency could rise in that area as well for Vooch. I'm not overly worried about Muhammad Bamba coming in. One, two, three, four, five. I think Bamba might struggle, especially early. I think he might be really out of place. Now, Vooch could get traded. And if he gets traded, I believe that he'll get traded to a much worse situation and he'll come in as a backup. So that's a real concern with Vooch. So I probably look at him, even though on a per game basis, me assuming that he's in Orlando all season, I've got him as a, around the 40th best player, but he's probably more suited to the 60th, 60th pick, 70th pick around that sort of a mark, just with that level of uncertainty. But with efficient big men, really hard to come by, you might have to reach and just crush your fingers and hope that uh, that he doesn't get traded. I, I don't really think that we're going to have too much of a negative impact from uh, Bumba this season if he does uh, if he does remain in Orlando. Um, who else have we got here? Um, what other questions? 
Tanner Brown, what are your thoughts on Mitchell Robinson as a last pick? Fine. Now, I think that Robinson could be playing a little bit with Westchester to begin the season, but I don't think that will last long. I think in 18 or 19 minutes per night, we saw this with Yucca Pirtle last season. He could come in and give you 1.6 blocks, 60% field goals, and grab eight rebounds, and that is still really valuable. So it's fine, but you have to just gauge it over the first six weeks of the season. If he's not playing at all, then having a, a roster spot providing you zeros is, is pretty hard to do. It's pretty hard to hold on to a guy, but absolutely what you want to do with those last picks, hey, take a flyer. If he just absolutely blows up in preseason and they start giving him 24 a night and give Cantor 24, an unlikely and unrealistic scenario in my, in my opinion, but it could happen then it's a brilliant pick. Then he probably can be top 100 in that scenario. And if Cantor is moved or if they decide to, to bench him, which I don't really think they will, but you know, Robinson's minutes could come up. I absolutely love that sort of idea. That's what you should be looking at with those last picks. Have a crack at Mitch Robinson. See how he goes. It might turn to shit completely, but there'll be a hot waiver wire guy in week one. I 100% guarantee you. And then you can make that move depending on how that works out. Or you can hold him for a couple of weeks and see how it works out. But preseason is going to be really, really interesting on uh, on guys like Mitchell Robinson for this coming season. Um, let's have a look. Who else have got questions here for me? James Wang, any good punt assist targets in the early to mid rounds to pair with Anthony Davis? Well, I wrote a whole article on this on uh, on Basketball Monster talking about the, the punt assist type of build. And remember, you ha- I'm going to do a podcast on this at some point as well. When you're punting, that doesn't mean you avoid guys who get high assist numbers because if you do you're you you are in trouble with uh, getting your free throw percentage and getting your steals all those stuff things get tied together so getting a guy that gets six assists per game doesn't mean you failed punting assists punting assists doesn't mean you are aiming to get as few assists as possible it means you're aiming to get more of the other categories now if that comes with someone who gets two assists per game or it comes with someone who gets five and a half assists per game it means absolutely n- nothing there's no difference you just don't want to get a guy whose value is completely tied in to being a 10 assist per game guy. And even then, you'd probably switch your, your theory and your punch strategy in that sort of an area. So I guess ideally, you know, Bradley Beal, he gets you almost five assists per game. That's pretty strong, but can you, you can get pretty decent efficiency, good scoring, good threes. That can work. He is a, a strong-ish option in that sort of an area. But as I keep talking about, you need to get big men. Finding free throw percentage is going to be tough if you're really punting assists. So getting these big men, like a LaMarcus Aldridge, who can help you in both those percentage categories, is key. They go off the board really quickly. Otherwise, you're left with Steven Adams or Yusuf Nurkic later on, or John Ray Jordan or Clint Capella, who are going to just completely destroy your free throw percentage. If you're not willing to do a double punt, then you're in a fair bit of trouble. So you need to get bigs. You maybe need to get Kevin Love. You maybe need to get LaMarcus Aldridge. Maybe it is Nikola Vucevic in that sort of an area that you need to look at to try and get these uh, these options. And again, we're not avoiding high assist type of players. We're just looking to strengthen those other categories. If you need, and you will need a point guard eligible player, you know, point guards who don't derive all of their value from assist. Kemba Walker is one of those. Kyle Lowry can be one of those. Mike Conley is another one of those players. Um, that can help you in those areas. Uh, Jamal Murray, an excellent guy that I talked about before, not going to get many assists at all, but help you in that free throw percentage especially. So some interesting names out there. But again, the the main key is you are not avoiding high assist guy. If a guy gets six assists, you're going to say, my, my point guard needs to get two assists per game. That benefits you in absolutely zero way. The other guy you can look at uh, is DeJounte Murray. Now, he's, none of his values derive from assists. It's all rebounds. It's, it's uh, blocks. It's steals. Really weird positional stats for a point guard, but someone who looks there at, uh, looks um, uh, looks to be that guy who can help you in those other categories. 
Blue says, what is your reasoning for not being enthusiastic about a Barker? I don't think he's any good anymore. That's it. He, he was really strong at blocking shots. That's not the case anymore. He takes absolutely baffling shots at times. Offensive decision-making is piss poor. Pascal Siakam, Jonas Valanciunas, the Jedi Yoji Ananobi. Hello there. I think all these guys are probably better options than a Barker at this point. Now, you can play a Barker at center. He's still got some ability, but I just don't think he's anywhere near as good as what he was four or five years ago. I think the upside for him is fairly limited. I don't know how Nick Nurse is going to run things. The reports are that Nurse is more of a fan of Valanciunas than what Dwayne Casey was. So there's a couple of center minutes that could potentially be taken away from Serge. Greg Munro's around. I don't think that's too much of an issue, though. As Greg runs in, we realize this could get dangerous. But he's still there as another guy. I just don't think there's very much upside with Serge. He's not going back to being a two blocks per game guy. There's poor field goal percentage. And I do think there's a real risk that at some point, Pascal Siakam ends up playing more minutes than him. And that's obviously not a great scenario uh, for him at all. Um, Where are we looking at here? Who else have we got here? Um, Chase Webber. Carl Anthony Towns for the fourth pick in the draft? Question mark? Yeah. Yeah, why not? I think that that's absolutely fine to look at towns in that area. You know, you've got Davis at one, you've got Harden at two, and then it's it's a it's a mixed up area. You got Towns, you got Durant, you've got Steph in that mix. You could throw Giannis in that mix. You could throw Jokic in that mix. You could throw Kawhi in that mix. I think that group of guys is is really close. So that three from eight is really close, and then you're separated down to Lillard, uh, Paul George, LeBron James. Um, Russ Westbrook, depending on how that knee goes. I think that top eight is pretty pretty settled. So if you want to take Towns at three, fine. If you want to take Giannis there, if you want to take Durant there, Steph there, Kawhi there, I think all of those can work out. Again, I've said this plenty of times about Towns. Just because he's played all 82 games in, all, in the first three seasons doesn't mean he's going to continue to do that. Butler may go. That might open up more usage, but he's pretty solid as he is. I don't think you should have any concerns with taking uh, Carl Anthony Towns at pick three or pick four really at all. Um, Tom Nibelin says that seems a little high for Towns unless Tibbs gets the boot before you draft. I'm, I don't really see that being the case. Uh, that that you know it's it's too high for him again. High efficiency big man is so hard to find. And over the post All Star break period last season, Townsy was the fourth ranked player. Admittedly, some of that was without Jim Butler. He was the eighth ranked guy last season. But the difference between three and eight is so close that maybe that positional scarcity pushes him and Jokic higher up than what they would have been over a Durant, a Kawhi, a Steph, uh, even a Yanni. Perhaps getting an efficient center is so bloody tough to do. And Towns does it on high volume as well. Really big impact in both of those percentages. And that can be something that is quite tough to to come across. Um, Let's have a look. Uh, Where are are we looking here? Uh, Lots of you guys asking questions at the moment. James Wang says, Porzingis is probably coming back in January, February. I guess it's in relation to my Mitchell Robinson question. I agree. He probably is. Um, but at that point, maybe Kant has been moved on from. There are many different things. And, and Porzingis is going to be worked in pretty uh, pretty slowly. Uh, Blue says, if you're in nine cat roto, Harden is not the first or second. That turnover number, it doesn't matter. I do not care about turnovers. When I'm drafting, even if it's nine cat roto, I, I literally don't care. Because I- I'll tell you why. It is almost impossible to find a roto league where there are, you know, in your league where two or three guys um, you know, continue out the season. And if those two or three guys stop playing the season, what's going to happen to their turnovers? They're going to stay low. So you might have you know, taken real good care of your turnovers, but now you can't get 12, you can't get 11, you can't get 10, you can't get nine, you can't get eight points in that area. You're going to be down in that middle of the pack. So it does squeeze things up a bit. 
The other thing is, in a really super competitive Roto League, punting actually does become more viable. Now, what I do in the basketball monster projections with turnovers, I, I turn them on for 9-cat Roto. I just did a 9-cat Roto mock draft with the guys over at Hoopball, but I turn their weighting down to 0.25. So the turnovers only have a quarter of the value. Again, it's a negative stat. Um, and you can really, if you really concentrate on turnovers, then everything else does suffer. And you could say, well, maybe I'll lose three points on turnovers, but do I gain four or five points from the other eight categories from being you know, overly cautious there? I don't really look at it that way. So I don't, I'm not concerned. Even nine cat roto, I would still take Harden at number two uh, because of, of those reasons. If guys are going to drop out. You're not going to get 12, 11, 10, 9, 8 points in turnovers. The strongest teams, uh, generally at the end of a roto season, you'll see them about five, six points in that roto area. And even if you are lower, you can recover. It's one of those weird categories that, of course, I absolutely uh, despise. I've um, got a question here. What do you value Al Horford at? That is not me asking. I think Horford's going to uh, going to struggle a little bit this season. He's probably you now he should be probably the fourth option in in the starting lineup. But I think he'll defer to Jalen Brown and become the fifth guy. So you're going to have Kyrie, Gordy Haywood, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Al Horford. That's going to drop his scoring down. He'll still do what he needs to do. He'll get you some rebounds, not a super strong rebounder, some blocks. The assist will be nice, but the ball is going to run more through Haywood and Irving this season, whereas Horford got a bump there. I think he's going to be significantly overdrafted. I think his ADP is in the 40s. I think he's more of a 55 to 65 type of a guy. So he's probably a guy that I won't end up with on any of my teams this season. Um... Fias Kane, do you think Alex Len will have value while Deadman is out? Well, the uh, the the news, the recent news on Deadman is he's out of his walking boot already. So I think there is still hope that Deadman actually is ready for the start of the season. I think if he is out to begin the year, yes, Alex Len will have value worth a look with the last pick and see how it goes. Um, yeah, Deadman's a prime candidate to be traded at some point this season. So I think that's absolutely. Yeah, fine to be looking at a guy like Horford there. No, Horford, sorry, a guy like Len with that last pick while Deadman's out. We just don't know the full uh, full recovery time of uh, of the Undertaker at this point. All right, what other questions have we got? Trey Young, I have him around 75 to 85. Agree, Josh? Um, I think that's about the right zone for him. Field goal percentage is going to be a concern, but assists, scoring, threes, uh, free throw percentage are all going to be pretty good from Young. I don't think there's going to be too much issue with him being eased in slowly. Maybe he plays 28 a night for the first week. I think he'll be fine in that regard. Field goal percentage will be an absolute pain in the ass. I'm pretty confident about that, but I think he'll come out and have some big games. And getting assists late is not an easy thing to do. So that gives him that value in those late picks. There aren't many high assist guys there. He'll get you one 1.2 type of steals. I think there is value in uh, in looking at him there. Um, Jackson Shaw says, love at 19. Something about taking love in the second doesn't feel right. Why Why is that? Uh, interested to know why you think that um, yeah, getting Jackson... Uh, at that, uh, not Jackson, that's your name. Getting love at 19 doesn't sound right. This is a guy, again, we, we look at as being a, um, a top five guy when he had a team to himself and he was getting all this usage. I don't think he goes that high, but it's not a big stretch to say that, you know, Kevin Love, who was the 31st ranked player when he played 31 minutes a night alongside LeBron the year before in nine, with 19 11, like, can he jump 12 spots based on that? I think that's pretty, I, I think. There's a, fair, there's a fair argument to make that he could easily jump into that top 20 zone. But the injury concern is a worry. 
Uh, Jackson did follow that up by asking if I would take um, K-Love or Kyrie at 19. That's a good question. I guess needing that big man, I probably, and I've got them ranked basically right next to each other, I would probably take uh, Love there over Irving personally just to get a power forward and someone who's shooting that high free throw percentage. I have a little bit more confidence in Love's injury history than I do with Irving's, uh, although I do think Irving will play probably 70 games this year. So they're probably in that similar zone or they are in that similar zone, but just given the big man need, I would be, uh, I'd probably be taking Love in that area. Not that he's providing necessarily significant big man numbers, but getting the rebounds along with a good free throw percentage is a pretty, uh, pretty nice situation. Does Devin Booker's injury drop him on your list? No, I think he'll be fine to start the season. Maybe he misses two or three games. I've been looking at him in the second round. I think you can get him in the third round now. Doesn't worry me really at all. I think he'll be fine to go uh, by the time the season starts. Not not worried with that at all. Zubin Petrao, does Tibbs get fired before Buckets gets traded? Absolutely. That is uh, absolutely the case. I'm no, no problem with that whatsoever. Um, are you interested in Joshy Richardson at all? Of course I am. Joshy Richardson's one of my favorite players, has been for a very long time. The good thing about Wade coming in and yeah, hijacking the shots is that Richardson's game is not based on shooting. It's not based on high volume. And now I thought he could take a step forward there, and I think that might be curtailed, but it's blocks, it's steals. He'll get you some assists. He will score. He will hit threes. The efficiency will be pretty good. I think Richardson's still a very, very strong mid-round player uh, for this coming season. Is there any risk with dra- drafting Jarrett Allen in the top 50? I don't recall him playing more than 25 minutes last season. Well, you don't recall that because he didn't. Uh, he was playing about 24 minutes a night, even in the second half of the season where he was the starter. Now, I do think in his second season, his minutes will bump up. And I think there is somewhat of a risk with Allen this year because you know we, we saw that you know I, I put out a... Um, podcast last week or the week before talking about the where you can exploit the value on Yahoo's rankings. Um, a few days later, Yahoo came out and updated all their rankings and took away all that value there. Don't exactly know what that means, but we'll see. So he only played 24 minutes a night as a starter last season. He only played four games of over 30 minutes per night. He averaged 12 and 11 during that time with uh, over three blocks per game though, which is uh, important in 54 and 73%. So good numbers. I don't think he is playing over 30 or not. I think he's mid-20s. Uh, there is an element of risk there. I've got no doubt about that. Kenneth Fareed could take some of those minutes. Ed Davis wasn't just brought in to sit on his ass. So I don't think that Allen is getting to 30 a night. And you know, that value has been really taken away by them dropping that ranking of him. I still think that he's got a chance to be a top 60, top 75 type of a guy. But if you're looking at him at 40, it can be tough. But it all goes back to that overwhelming theory you need efficient big men, and getting efficient shot-blocking big men is bloody hard. So you're going to see him, JV, Vucevic, the Baptist, John Collins. They're all going to go 10, 20 spots earlier, Miles Turner, and getting those numbers is going to be really key. Unless you're punting blocks, you're not going to get them. So while there is a risk that maybe he doesn't live up to what we want him to do, and I do think that that's some of that block rate that Jarrett Allen showed at the end of last season is due to come down somewhat. Just getting a guy who's a starting center who can block two shots, who can be a, a 55-75 type of guy with double-digit rebounds, it's pretty bloody hard to find, and that's another reason why you should be okay with him. So while there is you know, some risk there, I think the, the benefits or the positives outweigh the risks with uh, with Jarrett Allen for this coming season. KFM05, which players do you feel have the highest chance of an Oladipo-esque breakout? I'll say this, there's no one who's going to do what Oladipo did, much like there's no the next Donovan Mitchell, because what those two guys did was almost unprecedented. Oladipo doubled his steal rate and doubled his block rate. 
Absolutely huge stuff. Took a 10 percentage point jump in his free throw percentage. I don't think there's anyone who really moves into that scenario. There are plenty of players who, who find themselves in better spots. I think Kyle Anderson's probably in a better spot in Memphis, but no one who really stands out as being that guy who's going to take a literally historic type of rise in their level of production offensively and defensively. So I'm not really think uh, not really think we should be looking uh, at anyone having that sort of a leap up. That was you know, completely unexpected. And I actually think there's a real risk that Oladipo falls this season uh, from that. I think he was the 10th ranked player last season. And I've said this before because his steal rate was so astronomically high that if you go down from, I think he was at like you know 2.8 steals per 100 possessions, if he goes down to 2.1, which is still really bloody good, then that's 15 spots, 10 spots of his ranking gone. If he goes back to the block numbers he put up most of his career instead of what he did last year, then the value goes away as well. So there is some uh, some real risk with him if you're looking at him as a first-round guy, which I am clearly not. Mike Foucault, I don't think, I'm sure the T's silent, Mike, so I apologize. Couldn't Booker easily be out eight weeks instead of six? Yeah, of course. I mean, they clearly tried covering up how he got injured. You don't know that. Uh, if he actually dated back to last year, he wouldn't be getting the surgery right before the season. So I could easily see him being out longer. I think it's fair to say that it's a similar injury and something flared up. Now, whether that was the uh, conspiracy theory unicycle injury, whatever it was, it, it doesn't really you know, matter too much. He was healthy. And something happened there. Now, he could be back eight weeks, but in general, hand injuries are a four to six week type procedure. So I think if Booker misses the first two weeks of the season, it's not a big deal. You know, it's, he's not going to be missing months of the season. I think that's what you're concerned is if someone's going to come in and miss months. If he misses eight weeks, oh, well, what does he miss? Seven games, eight games, maybe? I would still be pretty happy with taking him there in that uh, in that area. If someone missed a week or you know two weeks during the season, you wouldn't be like, just say, oh man, screw this guy, it's, you know, this is killing me because it's happening during the season. But if you miss the first two weeks of year, some people really, really do get worried uh, about stuff uh, stuff like that. Um, what else have we got here? i got to take a couple more questions. What do you think of Jackson Shaw? What do you think of Kemba? He seems a solid option if you miss early gun point guards. Um yeah, cool. Kemba's going to do what Kemba does. He's going to score. He's going to be you know, five and a half, six assists, steal-ish a game, lots of threes. Efficiency's been pretty good the last few years. I just don't really see much changing with Kemba Walker this season than what we've seen from him in the past. He was ludicrously ranked on Yahoo. He's still pretty bloody high, I think, at 14. There's, there's no need for that. I don't understand how he could possibly be that high, but he's a strong third-round point guard, and I just don't really see too much, uh, too much changing with him. Does Dwight Howard have a negative effect on Otto Porter's production this year? Well, I think it's fair to say that uh, Howard will have a negative impact on his rebounding numbers. It will also probably negatively impact his usage rate. So overall, probably. I think it's it'd be hard to see a scenario where Porter doesn't get impacted in some way by the presence of Dwight Howard, just because we know Porter's uh, passivity. I don't know if that's really the right word. I'm sure it's uh, it's close to, to the right word. Uh, and that's that's a concern with him as we move forward. You know, where is he going to... Um, where is he going to fall? Now, he's getting uh, ranked at 31 on Yahoo. I think that's too high. Uh, people overrate his you know, minimal impact on turnovers. You know, I'm, you know, I'm not one who's really caring about that. He's still you know, pretty strong there. One turnover per game, but it's you know, much much different to the point six he put up last year. He was being the 39th ranked player each of the last two seasons. So expecting him to be the 31st ranked player with Howard around, I think is pretty tough. I think he's scoring dips. I think he's rebounding dips a little bit as well. Nothing too major, but a drop in usage, a drop in a drop in rebounding, I think is uh, is a pretty likely scenario for Otto Porter this season. 
Um, TS, if you get Anthony Davis at one, would you avoid taking Drew Holiday for your second pick? No, I wouldn't. We saw last season they could both be the number one guy and the number 20 guy. And they did that all season playing alongside each other. The problem I guess you have there, TS, and you haven't specified what sort of league you're talking about, is if it's a head-to-head league and your playoffs fall in that shit part of the season where the Pelicans only play nine games, then that's a real problem. And in that scenario, I probably would avoid both those guys because you don't want your top two guys playing minimum weeks in the playoffs. That's a real concern. In a roto league, doesn't mean doesn't make a difference. If your playoffs are at different times of the year, doesn't make a difference. But if they're in that period where the Pelicans go 3-3-3, then it is a real concern, and I don't think I'd be doing it. But in terms of just as a general rule, pairing up teammates, it doesn't worry me. We've seen what these guys can do together with each other, and especially when we're talking that the top you know, bunch of guys – it's fine. Now, if you load up on five players from one team and four from another and they play on the same night, then you're going to have issues with guys sitting on the bench. You know, that can be somewhat of a concern. But you know, with your top couple of guys, I wouldn't be too uh, too concerned about that. Um, yeah, so TS says, yeah, it's a 12-team head-to-head. Yeah, I think that's, that, that, that is a concern. You do have to pay attention to that depending on where your playoffs, uh, playoffs are. Um, let's see. Uh, what other questions have we got here? Leo Gamil, which round would you draft Luka Doncic in a 14-team keeper league? Is I assume this is a startup keeper league. How many players can you keep is a good question. You'll see Doncic go at weird spots. You'll see him go in the top 15, and I think that's too high. We just don't know what he's going to be like. Uh, I, yeah, I'm, In general, I tweet, treat dynasty and keeper leagues very similarly to I do head-to-head leagues because I feel more confident in saying, why well, I, I have a better grasp on what's happening this season and next season versus what's going to happen in five seasons. Let me win now, then try and rebuild on the fly later on. Yeah, with you know, Taking some eye to some value and some old guys. I think you should be considering him a top 50 guy in that sort of format pretty comfortably and probably a top 30 guy. But in general, uh, the spot where he goes will be too high for me to feel uh, comfortable with. I feel pretty confident in saying that. What else have we got here? Um, lots of lots of discussion here on the uh, on the Kings. Tom and Blue chiming in. Where should Buddy Heald go? 80 to 90. I think Heald can be better than that, but I think that's the right spot because there is still a level of concern whether he can actually get to that level. Will Dave Yeager play him 25 minutes a night? I don't know, but one thing I do know is that Garrett Temple is not there anymore, so there are some minutes to go around in that backcourt. So if Heald pushes to 29 minutes per night and if he can keep his elevated steal rate that he did last season, then yeah, he is probably a top 60 player that you don't need to take in the top 60. Ranked 89th on Yahoo, grabbing at 75. I think that's totally fine for Budrick for this coming season. Francisco Santos, the point guard situation in Phoenix. I think Melton is way better defensively and offensively than Okobo, but do you think they'll trade for anyone and who? I've got no idea. I think they want to trade for someone. They've obviously been rebuffed many, many times. Spencer Dinwiddie to me seems like the guy that, that I'd be looking at. Uh, if they had to predict anyone, it would be him based on nothing, but that's who it would be now in terms of Melton way better defensively and offensively. Defensively, yeah, no, no problem saying that. Offensively, not so sure. He did have a, obviously a superior summer league. I personally believe that uh, Big Shaq Harrison is uh, is going to start the season at point guard. Now, I think it's nonsense. I think that if Devin Booker was healthy, we should have had Booker, Jackson, uh, Ariza, 
and of course, you know, Ryan Anderson there, or you know, TJ Warren or, or McCall Bridges. But yeah, the, the 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 pure stupidity of them locking Booker into the two and Anderson into the four means they're going to have their, some of their best players playing minimal roles, and you're going to have to choose between a Kobo and Melton and Harrison for that role. I think they start Harrison. I think Melton uh, will, will be the backup and a Kobo, the third string guy. But I'd be happy to take a flyer on any of them. But that's the order that I would take the flyer on those guys uh, with the last pick in the draft. Munted Scram, good name. How far off was Demontis Sabonis to making any of your tiers? There a chance that playing with Tyreek Evans opposed to Corey Joseph negates some of the cock monster effect. Is he worth a last round fly? Yeah, he is. Um, we heard the reports the last couple of days from the Pacers saying that Kylo Quinn's going to play the L. Jefferson role, meaning, which is pretty bloody weird to me that O'Quinn would go there. And if he is playing the L. Jefferson role, the L. Jefferson role is you don't play unless one of Sabonis or Turner is hurt. So that does really help to DeMontis' value, uh, meaning he plays more at center than power forward, which is a benefit to him as well. More Boyan Bogdanovich, more Dougie McDirt playing at power forward as the backup to Thaddeus Young in that scenario as well. I'm not sure how high the upside is for Sabonis. No blocks, no steals. Is he going to push into 28 minutes a night? I think that's a struggle. I think they want Turner to take that big step forward and not Sabonis. So... Well, he can be productive. I'm not sure there's really too much upside with him with that last pick, but he, but he's you know he's not far off that sort of an area. Will Tyreek start in Indiana? You and Smitty were very low on Darren Colson. No, he won't start in in Indiana. I'm pretty sure about that. But I think he's going to eat into Colson's minutes. He'll play that backup role, and I feel pretty confident in saying. I don't know if it's true or not. I think that Tyreek will play more minutes per game than Daz Collison will this season. That's my prediction. Um, and yeah, I, Collison, I just I just don't see it for him, uh, unfortunately. Harden Goat, is it crazy to grab Nikola Jokic at three in standard head-to-head leagues? Pretty good. It's pretty, 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 pretty good. Um, is, it, is it crazy? No. Again, he was the number two or number three guy uh, post-All-Star break last season behind Anthony Davis, so he can obviously do it. Whether he And this, that was with Paul Millsap. Now, whether he can do it for a full season remains to be seen. Big men get the bump. you got to compare him and Carl Anthony Towns. So with Towns, you're probably getting some more blocks. With Jokic, you're getting more assists. But you know, both of those guys there, I don't think it's completely crazy. Again, those three to eight guys, Giannis, Towns, Jokic, Durant, Steph, Kawhi, are all really, really close. Um, if you feel confident that Jokic can maintain that 22-11-7 pace that he was putting up on 47% shooting from three, that's not going to happen. Uh, then, yeah, he is the number three guy. I think he's probably more of a five to six sort of a player behind Towns and Durant, Giannis in that sort of an area, and even Steph. But it is. Those guys are really, really interchangeable depending on how you want to look at it. Um, a couple of guys want to know about um, Jonas Valanciunas' ceiling. It's, it's high. Like he's, he's a top 40 player if he plays 30 minutes per night. Now, the likelihood of him playing 40, uh, 30 minutes per night, 10% maybe. But his ceiling's high because he's super efficient, free throw percentage, field goal percentage. He can take threes now, hit them at a high rate. He blocks you a shot per game. He's going to score and he's going to rebound like an animal as well. So if he gets 30 and 90, he's a top 50 guy, top 40 guy. Will he get there? Almost absolutely not. But uh, you have to. We just don't know how Nick Nurse is going to run him now. I think he couldn't run him worse than Dwayne Casey. That's you know where I'd come into that with Valanciunas. He couldn't be worse than what uh, Dwayne O did last season. But he also might not be much better. So that's that's the concern there. Um, where are we looking? 
The next question, KFM05, how soon do you determine which categories you will punt after your first round selection, or do you wait to see what kind of build you can draft after your first few picks? Now, generally, I'd like to do it after my first pick, so you can make the argument that you take the best available player with the second pick. I don't, I don't, actually, I don't agree with that. It's probably after my first pick, but you also have to be flexible to do things, to change things up. Now, you might yeah, be looking to, to not punt um, uh, field goal percentage. And the guys who are around, you've drafted, um, and you've got you know, a free throw percentage. But you get to, say, pick uh, 60, and DeAndre Jordan's around, and you have a look at your team's free throw percentage, and it's sitting at 78%, and everyone else is at over 80, and you go, shit. Okay, so I can bump my field goal percentage up and lose free throws. Is that a worthy gamble? It, maybe it is. And I've done that plenty of times and got to a spot maybe a couple of years ago. Clint Capella was around at pick 90 or so, and I was looking, I go, my free throw percentage is all right, but the rebound, the block, the field goal percentage boost that I get from Capella is actually worth me switching and pivoting to punt free throws at that stage in the draft. So you've got to be ready to change it. And uh, you'll see Draft Track is able to do that for you. But generally, it's after my first pick that I'll make that decision. But being really ready to be flexible and change your thought process as the uh, as the draft is going on. Um, what other questions have we got here? Do-do-do. I think we might be uh, almost done for today's show. We've, geez, we've gone way longer than I expected, guys. I might uh, wrap that up for today's show. Remember, tomorrow, auction draft tips, and then the day after that, an auction mock draft we're going to be running. I am running a draft-only best ball points league using a different point scoring system. 30 teams, draft-only, $10 entry, winner takes all. Check my timeline. There's a couple of spots left. I'm in that league. Tim Bontemps is in that from the Washington Post, so you can go and join and battle both of us in that league as well. Go and check that one out um, and sign up for one of those last couple of spots. Subscribe to this podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and on YouTube. We're just doing this one live. Give it a thumbs up. All that great stuff. You know how it goes over on YouTube. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. The Muppet, John Henson.